Hello, and welcome back to The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America. Please take a second to subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts. This episode features the DGA Special Projects Committee's recent event, The Craft of the Director, Ron Howard. The event was the fifth in this series of conversations with master filmmakers that feature an in-depth discussion about the directing process from pre-production through post. Mr. Howard's extensive filmography includes the feature films Splash, Parenthood, Far and Away, The Da Vinci Code, and In the Heart of the Sea. The documentary features Pavarotti, The Beatles' Eight Days a Week, The Touring Years, and Made in America, and the pilot of the series, Genius. He is a two-time DGA Award winner for Outstanding Directorial Achievement in Feature Film for 1995's Apollo 13 and 2001's A Beautiful Mind, and was nominated for his 1985 feature, Cocoon, and his 2008 feature, Frost Nixon. Mr. Howard currently serves as the second vice president of the Guild and participates on the Eastern Directors Council and the Theatrical Creative Rights Committee. Recently, Mr. Howard sat down with fellow director Jeremy Kagan to share his insights on the directing process in front of a virtual audience. The two discussed building relationships with collaborators, when he knows he's got the right shot, and directing difficult scenes in movies like Cocoon. My name is Jeremy Kagan, and I am the chairperson of Special Projects for the Directors Guild, and I'm hoping that all of you who are joining us are both safe and and somewhat sane in the midst of this. And again, I want to thank specifically, because I know he's in the middle of post-production, doing it via all these devices, uh, Ron Howard. So please welcome Ron Howard to this uh, conversation, the craft of Ron Howard. Ron, thanks for being here. My my pleasure, Jeremy, and anybody who happens to be uh, uh, clicking on. Um, I'm glad to take a little time uh, and, um, and and be a part of this. You know, and I always learn something uh, uh, just just uh, you know through our conversations. So myself. Well, it, it, you know, it's amazing when you just uh, look at all of the work that you've done. I mean, because you you've worked in so many different genres. From comedy to serious pieces to historical pieces to biographical pieces to sci-fi pieces, you know it, 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 it's amazing in a sense that you are a, sort of the ultimate craftsperson because they can turn to you if it's a studio and say, "Could you do this? Oh yes, I can make people laugh. Can you take on this very serious biography of a president? Uh, yeah, I can do that. So it's uh, there's so much to share and talk about. But one of the things I wanted to start our conversation with is in terms of relationships is because, you know, so many of our members are part of the directorial team. I'd like you to talk initially here about your relationship with assistant directors. Oh, yeah. My, well, uh, interestingly, throughout the <clears throat> all of the projects, um, it, I, I primarily have worked with three different first ADs. Um, and, uh, and so I think that does suggest that I, I, I put a lot of weight on that, on that relationship. And I, and I've also found in every instance <clears throat> that, um, that there, that if they're part of the filmmaking team, it's not just about logistics. There's also somebody right there to that you can turn to and say, does that look right to you? 
And it's not just, are we going to make our day and, and uh, you know, uh, when's the cast going to be ready? It's how, how are we doing? How are we doing today with the movie or the TV show or whatever it might be? And so I've always depended on that combination. Um, I, I, well, I wouldn't say depended on it, but benefited from it and from encouraging it. And of course, I love creating a spirit of collaboration around the process anyway. So, uh, you know, I, I, I often have a similar sort of relationship with the DP, uh, production designers, where I'll go outside of their, you know, their direct area of responsibility and want to just talk about, you know, um, the, the, you know, the day's work, uh, you know, the scenes, the script. So the three, the three um, guys that I, that I worked with are Jan Lloyd, very different personalities, Jan Lloyd, Aldrich Porter and Bill Connor. And, and I, and uh, it, it's, uh, it's great that you mentioned them and it's very, uh, it means a lot to me actually to, to, to go back and sort of analyze that and be able to talk a little bit about them. Well, you know, to some degree, there's the, there are two functions. There's the one which is very practical, which is this is what we've got to get done today. These are the things that we need to have to be able to get done with them. And you've got to tell me, do I have the time to do it? Yeah. And there is also, you know, the responsibility that many first ADs have for taking care of all of the background artists. And, you know, I mean, you've had gigantic scenes like, I don't know, the... The, 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 goal, the, 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 the land rush scene in, in yeah. Far Away or yeah. sort of all the background people in, in, in um, uh, th things like uh, the Grinch movie. Um, yeah. how, do you how do you handle that, those two roles with your assistant director? Well, again, it gets back to this idea that we're, you know, that, 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 we're, that we're all making a film and that's a, certainly a big significant part of it and a, and a direct area of, uh, you know, of responsibility. Um, and, uh, um, you know, and I, I try to pay attention to that. I also have a, um, it, it's a, it's a little bit of a, of a, of a, of a deficit for me because I've always been really an actor's director. And so very often I get into those scenes, whether it's a complicated steady cam shot or even a wide master, you know, and I'm get so myopic about paying attention to what's going on between the principles and are there nuances that I think they're missing or something that I'm discovering that we can build on and all that, that I often, I am not the one to say, Hey, that, that guy in the back took his hat off at exactly the wrong time. I'm, and so I, I really do depend on the first to be uh, thoughtful and often the first will delegate some of that to, to a, a key second. Uh, uh, and, uh, Who's who's also uh, you know somebody that they trust, but uh, you know it's 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 certainly a big part of the job. It's you know I think that I think that it, you know cinematographers and first ads are the two people who work as hard or harder than the director, um, in, in any in any given day. Um, and I I think the you know the 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 pressure is tremendous, um, and. Uh, uh, and I, I respect that and I, and I appreciate that. Um, and, but I, but, you know, I, there also always is a, is a kind of an understanding that there, there are going to be times when we, you know, we need to invest into this scene and that's not the AD's responsibility to approve that. But one of the reasons in recent years, and it sort of started with Aldrich Porter, um, and, and I've, and we've carried this through with Bill Connor, who was actually trained by Aldrich Porter, 
So there's a real continuity here in the in the in the in the in the assistant director department in my in my career, decades long, between the two of them, that they're often often I'm fortunate enough to to be able to get them to be um, uh, get it cleared for them to be executive producers as well, which means they they you know they get involved early in the project, um, they carry on into into uh, into post, and they they just have a little additional. Um, sort of uh, authority, I suppose, and, and and a range of responsibility, so that as the movie comes together, as the project begins to get up on its feet and we're going, I really love having someone in the trenches with me dealing with the the the, the minute to minute complications of a day, who um, is connected enough to the project that has a deeper relationship with the line producer, has, has been around, uh, we're all a team. And so when, it, when, you, when you get into these tricky conversations, you, you, you really are having a conversation of, you know, how, how, how much is this costing us? Um, uh, where could we make it back if we need to invest in? And all these things on the fly can happen with the first AD that really help the line producer and the director and everybody else down the road. So there's never this, there's, there's this lag time. Um, and I, I, we're, we're able to be super efficient because uh, the first ADs I work with are brought in in a way uh, so that they're, they're, uh, they're, there's, you know, they're privy to everything and they're, they're a part of that decision-making process. So if you're walking on the set in the morning, let's say it's, <laughs> it's a, not a night sequence, right. um, what's the first dialogue you're having, for example, with your first AD and, and his or her team to say, this is what the day is gonna be, or this is what I'm trying to accomplish? <clears throat> well, most of the time, if we're on location, we, we, we ride together, and very often the cinematographer as well. And we'll go out of our way to loop around and pick people up and stuff like that. So no matter how groggy they are, uh, I'm usually pretty ampy in the morning. So that conversation has already started, whether they kind of want it or not. Uh, and uh, uh, but but it's uh, you know it's it's really what are the vari- what are the goals and what are the variables you know and uh, where where are the potential uh, landmines here and and so it's keep me informed. I like knowing all of that stuff. I don't like to be hidden from the process. I, I'm, uh, I, I, you know, I, I grew up on sets. I understand all the little wrinkles and pitfalls and, uh, and I like to factor them in to, uh, you know, the, my, you know, the logistical side of, of what I do. So it really is, it's about, it's about identifying like the, the, the absolutes, like these are the things we, 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 we really must get. And, um, and, um, and is there anything in the way of that? And, uh, you know, and so I think those are the, those are the conversations. When there's a uh, time pressure, let's say you've been working on a scene, you thought you were going to be able to do this in this certain amount of time, and you feel from the performance, it's, you need more. Right. Um, this is a double question, because part of the question is, when do you know I've got it? Right. But also when you say, I don't have it, and we thought we were going to get it in this time, you have to talk to your AD to say, guess what? So yeah. how's, that, how's that process? There's two parts to it. It's when do you know you have it? And if you don't, and it's much more the time, how will you go through that dialogue? I'm a, I'm a bit of a worrier. So with me, there's kind of a, 
you know, I see on the horizon, you know, uh, uh, Bill, Aldrich, Jan, whoever might be, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know, but I've got, I know, you know, I, the, 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 the movie, the show, it needs this. So these are the things I can't compromise. Um, these are the things that I suppose I could compromise. Is it time to start making those moves or not? And in every instance, talking to the people that I've worked with more than once, part of what I love about those relationships that have been important is um, they're, they are production savvy and, they, and they're responsible to the, to the line producer and to the studio. And, they, and we all know that that's, you know, that's the job. But they're also filmmakers. And, and so they'll say, maybe not yet. Uh, you know, uh, let's, uh, or they'll come up with, a, they, they might have a, they might have another fix. Um, and, uh, and again, I try to build a really good relationship with the first AD, the cinematographer and myself. So there's a real triangular conversation going on. Often it does start in the car, but even if it doesn't, it starts first thing in the morning. And, uh, and so it's, it's, it, it, it's just a kind of a, 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 a reading of, of the day um, and what's going on. And, um, you know, and so usually it's, it's uh, you know, if we're supposed to wrap it at, uh, at, at 7.15, we're not discovering this at seven. Uh, you know, we've been talking about it since two. Uh, and we know, and, and we've already realized we're not gonna get it and here's where we can put it in the schedule or we're not going to get it. We're going to have to have a real conversation about coming back. Let's get, let's get, let's get the producers in. This is a real, you know, this is an issue so that it, it's, uh, you know, rarely that, that kind of thing. Sometimes it comes down to the do or die shot, uh, you know, with the sun going down that my brother, longtime character actor, Clint likes to talk about. That's what you really get paid for is, you know, uh, the sun's coming up and you still have your freaking lat, you know, you're the character actor who didn't get the coverage until the last very last thing. And you've got, you know, they don't have take two. <laughs> uh, can you deliver? When, when do you know you've got it? When, and now, listen, you've been doing, uh, you know, uh, your depends. body work is enormous and it, and it may have changed from, you know, when you were doing, you know, Grand Theft Auto and Splash yeah. to when you're doing, you know, the last three pictures. Yes. There may be a change. Yes. But talk, it, it, talk about that because it's something that every director has to deal with uh, saying. Well, I think it depends on the style of the movie. So, you know, I've done or even the scene. I've done some scenes. For example, um, Bill Connor and I had a, a scene with Sal Totino was the DP on Frost Nixon. And we had a lot of scenes where um, that the, our style of shooting was not really to rehearse. Um, and I mean, in, the, the uh, in, in, because it had been a stage play, I didn't want to over rehearse it. Michael Sheen played David Frost and Frank Langello played Nixon. They had fallen into this pattern doing the show, doing the play of not communicating with each other off stage. I, you know, I don't think they actually hated each other, but I, but I also think they probably didn't mind not talking. Uh, and, uh, uh, but, but they also found it worked. So I borrowed that, can I, you know, and, and sort of decided to honor that, which also meant I didn't really want to do blocking rehearsals with them. I didn't want Frank Langella, who'd done however many umpteen hundreds of performances, uh, you know, uh, uh, or Michael, to, to, um, to be that racehorse that immediately gets into, you know, the old rhythm by the second or third run through of a scene. 
So we started shooting right away. I'd never have done anything really like that before or since, but it was a sort of a let the operators discover it and find it. Now, what, the way I operated there was I had a, I, you know, I had a shot list. It was, in some instances, they were design shots. Like I'd like to start in one place and go to another character and come back through. And it, and with that didn't naturally fall into the sort of the improvised, you know, staging, I, I would try to nudge it that way at some point or abandon it. But I'd have all of this on paper. And so I would start to know I have it, Jeremy, when I would, I'd be ticking things off. So I'm watching the, the two monitors and I'm saying, ah, got that line in and over the shoulder. Mm, that happened. Boom. Got, oh, oh, we got, oh, we got that move, that press in uh, on, uh, the, on this moment. I, I can check that one off. So in that case, I'm breaking it down editorially for beats. And I, and I know when I've been able to check off all the beats. And, but, and in every instance, by the end of the day, we're doing pickups to sort of nail the last, you know, half a dozen things. And we're no longer doing the whole scene, perhaps. So, so that's different than a day where I know I've got it when, you know, uh, the light was right and the actor, you know, or actors, you know, moved me uh, in, in, in the right way or made me laugh or whatever was supposed to happen in the performance. And I, I see it. And that means that means we've got it. Sometimes we've got it because we had the big giant crowd and the six cameras. And, uh, you know, we did it once. We did it a second time and everybody's, you know, check. They've kind of gotten what their goals were and it looked pretty great. And we just know we've got it. So it always depends on the on, uh, you know, on the goals of sure. the day. Sometimes you think you got it because <gasps> we can't come back to this location. <laughs> and I, and I, I think I think we have enough coverage. I think, okay, I think, I, all right, we, we got it. We got it because there's no going back. <laughs> no, that's, that's convincing yourself you've got yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, But there's, when you have an enormously tr uh, trying emotional scene, which you've had in many of your movies in terms of an actor's performance, whether the actor is getting to a place of, you know, serious anger, I'm thinking of and Ransom, there's a moment when Mel Gibson loses it, or, yeah. or serious emotional upset. Um, where do you go there? Because there's always a range. Do you push it further? Um, do you, you know, obviously the actor can say, you know, I think I can do this again, but you have to still be able to say at one point, yes, this, yeah. this has affected me. Yeah. It, it, um, I, I mean, it's a, it's a feeling. Sometimes I'll turn to the assistant director. Sometimes I'll turn to the script supervisor. Sometimes I'll check with the DP. Are you feeling this the way I am? Uh, you know, and, uh, just to, just to, uh, you know, to, cause I have a lot of empathy for the actors. So sometimes I'll, I'll feel, you know, I mean, I'm rooting for them so much, uh, that I, you know, I want to check to make sure that slightly more objective uh, eyes are, are feeling what I'm feeling, but mostly, um, you know, I've been thinking about the scene for months or years. And so I, you know, I, 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 you know, I feel it, the actor feels it. I, I try to develop a, a rapport with the, um, you know, with the actor so that I do know it. I shoot in different ways again, depending a little bit on, on the, on the, the style of the, of the, of the staging and the approach, the, the aesthetic we're going for. And also, um, the, 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 the nature of the actor. So some actors, um, I cover in a way so that there's never the shot. They're just playing the scene. 
and I'll worry about making sure we got the shot. But we won't discuss it. It won't feel like we. this is the moment we're doing the close-up, you know, or the over-the-shoulder or the shot that moves in on you for, the, for this you know, moment in the scene. Uh, some actors flourish that way. Other ones kind of need to know this is it. And it depends on their, you can, you, you discover these things in rehearsal. Part, part of what I use the rehearsal period for is to begin to identify the, you know, the, 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 their different, you know, approaches to what they do. Uh, it, most extreme example of needing to understand that was Cocoon. I was a very young director, uh, but, you know, experienced enough. And the four lead um, uh, males, uh, Wilford Brimley, Don Amici, Jack Gifford, and uh, Hume Cronin, all worked in totally different styles. Wow. Totally different styles. And um, can, can you describe? Wilford Brimley was very, uh, uh, was, was very authentic, very improvisational, and in a great way, in a great way. And he was gruff, and he was a little difficult to work with at times and things like that. But he was bringing real honesty to this sort of fantasy comedy, and I loved that. So in rehearsal, they saw that I was kind of I was going to I was going to I was going to work with the scenes that way and encourage that sort of thing. Don Amici was old school Hollywood. Here's my text. Where's my mark? Please give me some direction. Um, you know, and in within two takes, three takes, you'll have my performance. Okay, stop. And, one, uh, stop there for one second, only because of the word. Please give me some direction. Right. When that happens, and obviously, what you're making such a powerful point here about different actors need different things, and a director who's going to be able to, or she's going to be able, they're going to be able to get the performance they want. Are going to have to use different methodologies. Right. Do you remember sort of with Don Amici, the old school, the kind of language that would work? Uh, if, you yes. were, if you said direct me. Well, I grew up in that language because that's what television was in the in the 60s. You know, it was that it was the, the you hit your key light because, you know, it was it was uh, four or five hundred foot candles and you could feel it when it hit your face. Uh, the rest of the set was 250 foot candles. And you'd kind of know the difference, whether you were on your mark or not. It was whether you could feel that heat on one cheek or the other. Uh, but uh, so I, I understood all of that. But um, well, he was feeling kind of insecure in rehearsal because I was encouraging this improv, which Hume Cronin could do. Um, and Jack Guilford is an old sort of vaudevillian. He could roll with it or he would wait for the opening and throw his scripted line. And his character was written very specifically and very funny anyway. So. That was all going well. And Don was feeling a little lost. And Dennis Klein, who was there um, doing rewrites, uh, he had come from the, the TV show Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman, which was 100 percent improvised. But so he he was very helpful in terms of as during the rehearsal period, you know, just sort of um, uh, giving me confidence that this this approach could work, building sort of around Wilford's gift. And um, but Don was thrown. And Dennis took to slip and I said, you know, he's lost here. I know what kind of actor he is. That's, you know, and I described it. And Dennis said, uh, I said, can we help him somehow? And he said, yeah, yeah. And he started writing him improvs that we wouldn't tell anybody. And uh, and he would just kind of slip Don a line. And Don was, 
and just throw it in there. And then all the guys would be going, great line, Don, great, way to go. And so, you know, he felt like he was, he was in the flow, but for him, it was, it was a hundred percent scripted, but I would, you know, uh, you, 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 you lean certain scenes in certain directions. So, you know, uh, I, I would let Wilford and his improvs drive a certain scene, another scene that features Don, you know, I, we'd, I'd slow it down and, and we'd make sure we'd, 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 we'd get it to work in a way that, um, you know, that allowed him to flourish. That's always what I'm trying to do is just create the environment where they can excel. You would ask about difficult scenes. One of the really difficult scenes that I ever chose to do, it was a, it was a moment with Wilford who was, as I said, kind of, kind of crusty, but underneath it was this drive for authenticity that, that I really admired and I appreciated. And there was a scene between he and his grandson. And it was supposed to take place in the, in the boy's bedroom. And this is a story about these guys who've been kind of given a, 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 you know, a second lease on life and, and a fountain of youth in a way. But now they're going to have this opportunity to perhaps go into space and, 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 and live forever. Uh, and he's trying to decide whether to go or not go. And he's decided he will go but he wants to talk to his grandson. And Wilford came over to me and we're only a, you know, I don't know, two days from shooting this scene. And he said, you know, I can sit on the bed with the boy and we can do this page and a half scene. You can be done with the whole thing in an hour and a half. Or we can make a really good scene, a true scene, and we could be fishing. And I said, oh, well, that's kind of, so I went to actually Jan Lloyd um, and, and, and also Richard Zanuck, who was there every day producing along with his wife, Lily, started to talk about this. And I said, you know, a fishing scene could be pretty great. I don't know how that dialogue works with a fishing scene. I bounced back to Wilford and because Jan had said, well, I think if we do this on Friday instead of Thursday, you know, let's get some scouts going and we'll see where it would take place and blah, blah, blah. He immediately had an, a way of moving the board around. And, um, and I said to Wilford, I said, well, do you think we would just take the same scene? You feel like that will work out there? And he said, just let me talk to the boy. I'll just talk to the boy. And, um, you know, you'll get your scene. And, and I said, oh, you want to improvise? You just want to do it? He said, yeah, I'm just going to talk. I'll just talk. If you let me do it, I'll just talk. Um, and, uh, and, and, um, so I, I thought, well, that's, hmm, how do we do that? And got with Jan Lloyd, called up Dennis Klein. We were shooting now, so he wasn't around. And I said, what, he wants to improvise it. And he said, well, look, Mary Hartman was a three camera show, you know, get three cameras, get your coverage and uh, see how he goes. So I thought, well, that's kind of bold. Then I went to Wilford and I said, okay, I'll do it. We're going to do this. Um, you know, producers are backing me. Jan Lloyd found a place to do it. Uh, we'll do it uh, and we'll improvise it. But at some point I might need you to go back to the scripted scene. And, and if, if I do, I just don't want you to put up a, a fuss. You know, he said, all right, that's fine. That's fine. So then he, the other thing was, he, he didn't like, he didn't really like coverage. 
he liked wide shots. I don't know why. He just had it in his head. He didn't really like coverage, which, of course, I, I was doing anyway. And it always would rub him a little bit the wrong way. And we would talk about it a little bit. But, you know. So I decided, oh, if we improvise this, he's going to run out of gas. So if I, I want a super wide, three cameras. I'm going to want a sort of a full figure. I'm going to want something that ties the boy to him. So those are kind of cross angles and a two frontal, you know, two shot. And then I'm going to want to get real tight. So um, he's going to be out of gas on this improv, but he loves wide shots. All right, I'm going to work it the other way around. And I, st I started medium tight. And then I, and, and then I said, we're just going to do the, I'm going to do a couple of tight shots. I think this is mostly going to play in the wide Wilford, but um, we're going to work our way out. So let's just warm up this way. And we, he did it. He was different every time. We only did one take of each size um, and took it to the editing room. But, but I, just when he was running out of gas, I said, yeah, but, but Wilford, we want the big wides. And he said, all right, yeah, we're in wide shot. Yeah, great. Right. So, so we did it and we, we did the whole thing in like about three hours, two and a half, three hours, beautiful light one afternoon, kind of on the way back from one location back to the studio. And um, it wound up being absolutely one of the best scenes that I've ever, ever been involved in. And it scared the crap out of me, but I felt like it was worth a gamble to trust, to trust Wilford. And uh, he delivered every take was eight minutes long, but Mike Hill and Dan Hanley, you know, and me, spent a great deal of time shaving and it wound up being a, a scene that I'm, you know, remain really proud of. It's a wonderful scene. And there are two questions I have about this. One is the phrase that when he would argue with you, I'm using that word or yeah. get gruff. Um, yeah. I worked with him. I do know what that gruffness could be like. Right. Um, what, how you said you like, I, I need the coverage uh, or I need right. this close up. Do you, what kind of language do you say? I mean, I'm almost trying to get, I wish I were right there at that moment it, to be able to hear how you handle it. It depends. It depends. Sometimes I just, I mean, at a certain point, I remember one time I said, he said, why are you doing this coverage? And I said, well, I'm doing it because I want to be able to control the flow of the scene. And, uh, you know, it may be too long. It may not be long enough. And, you know, and this is, this is going to give, and plus I like faces and, uh, you know, we're getting good wides here and there, but I really want it. And he said, I don't see why you want it. I think, you know, and he says, and by the way, they're not going to let you cut this movie anyway. You're, you're 29 years old. They're not going to let you make this movie. They're going to take it away from you in the editing room. And I said, well, well, for, first of all, we got to do the coverage. So I really insist we've got, you know, that we're here, we're doing the coverage. And I said, and by the way, that didn't happen to me on Night Shift, didn't happen to me on Splash. I know it could happen to me on this, but I'm willing to bet you $1,000 that it doesn't happen. And he said, all right, that's a bet. So I kind of distracted him away. Uh, and uh, by the way, I won the bet. Uh, <laughs> uh, Barry Diller in the studio loved it. They never, never gave me, an, they, you know, it was my cut uh, before I even had final cut. And, uh, um, and, I, and he paid. Um, I'm glad you collected. Oh, I, collected. I, oh, I, I got collected. Here's another uh, question on that, though, which is uh, the kid. But it was a so you know, I mean, that was a case of me putting my foot down, and yeah. and uh, you know, and, and and which generally, of course, you don't have you know, you don't you don't have to do. But but you work with Wilford, and and it's it's almost part of the game. I mean, I've, now we're spending a lot of time on Cocoon, but he was a psychologically interesting guy. Like one time, to to um. 
to do the this one this one scene um he he wasn't really getting upset enough right he it, it was just a, it was a scene where he was supposed to be at the dm at the dmv and and they were failing him he couldn't pass his test i wanted him to storm off and he didn't really want to storm off he was just doing it and kind of walking away and i kept saying uh, you know I, I really think you should just be pissed off by this. And, you know, I'd like to get a take where you, where we do that. And he says, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, he didn't really fight it, but he wasn't really going there, you know? And, um, and so he hated walkie talkies. He didn't like the, the AD calling, we need Wilford and the PA, the second AD calling the PA on the walkie, Wilford, Wilford, where is he? And he hated that. He hated walkie-talkies. It was we, it was like a big thing for him. So I he had to go off and make an exit and to make an entrance. And he came in and just for that one, I hid the walkie-talkie out of frame and I had the actor read the off-camera for the close shot on the walkie-talkie. And he sort of like tensed up when he saw that I was playing that trick on him and he totally went with it. And he he got so furious, you right. know. And he, and he stormed out and then he came back and took the walkie talkie and like smashed it on the table very theatrically, you know? So he was a bit of a showman about uh, it. Now the kid, you've worked with lots of kids on parenthood. I mean, just to speak there. In fact, there's that kid when they, when he loses his, his, his mouth brace, whatever it is, there's yes. an amazing yeah. moment. Um, the kid in that scene with Wilford, right? Since this is in an improv scene, what did you tell the kid? Well, Wilford had a great relationship w w with him, Oliver, and, and he, uh, um, and I said, you know, I'm, I'm a little worried that he won't be able to keep up with you. And he said, I'll get him around to his cues. I'll get back to the cues. And he was savvy enough. And he's a brilliant guy, Wilford, and a great actor, and, you know, and highly intelligent and all those things. And he was great with the kid. He got the kid to his, his you know, cue lines. And the kid... And, and uh, Oliver's smart and he, you know, he picked up on it. It made for a great scene, yes, um, you know, but I would never thrust that on actors. I, uh, I would have to discover that that was something that they kind of had an appetite for. And, 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 uh, and, uh, and a few times I've, you know, we've, we've, I've, I've uh, you know, employed that sort of thing, but mostly, you know, mostly not. That's not what most actors want to be doing. One of the things that I want to talk about working with kids, but I also want to ask that one more question, which is, you know, sometimes because we want the result, uh, be pissed off. Um, sometimes we'll say that and the actor then will interpret that and turn it into, and, you know, acting teachers are yeah. around the world saying, where's the, where's your action verb? Where's yeah. your action <laughs> yeah. verb? Um, you know, by being an actor, by working with such brilliant actors, uh, knowing some need different kinds of help to get the best performance. Do you find that there is some uh, justification for the idea of saying, you know, um, um, attack her um, as distinguished from the result of the emotion you want? And I'm, yeah, you've, you've worked with other directors. Where are you on that kind of line? Well, I, you know, I, I try not to give line readings, but I do sort of, I sort of improvise and, and act it out a little bit for them sometimes. To, I mean, I think that, that could be kind of annoying. So I'm caught, I'm careful about it. Uh, mo mostly, I, tr I try to deputize actors. 
um, I, I try to collaborate with them as much as possible, which means understand, you know, kind of what makes them, what makes them tick. There are actors who really want to be told, you know, uh, they, um, excellent, excellent actors. Just tell me faster. Tell me louder. I'll figure it out. Um, there was a great learning moment for me uh, in, on Parenthood. I was directing Jason Robards Jr. And it was his first day on the, on the film. And, uh, um, and it was a difficult scene. It's, uh, his, he has a favored son, Tom Hulse, who's a ne'er-do-well. And, and, you know, scheduling issues being what they sometimes are, kind of the most difficult dramatic scene was the, the first thing they both had to do. And um, so in the scene, uh, the father is supposed to recognize once and for all kind of that his son is a fuck up. And, uh, and, uh, and we played it and it was, it was fine. It wasn't getting all the way there, but we sort of started with a master and worked our way in. And it was, it was strong until the end. And I felt like it, it wasn't really landing. Um, it wasn't as devastating for Robards. And, um, and, and I went to Jason and I, and I said, you know, here's your son. I know we're, we're jumping to this scene, but as you know, you know, you've, you've, you've championed this guy for, you know, and now he's leaving you with this child. He's abandoning his own son. It's just, and I got about halfway through just sort of talking the situation down and reviewing that. He reached over and grabbed my hand. He said, Ron, do you want a sadder face? And I said to myself, oh, well, here he is. At that time, I was like 34 years old. Now uh, he's fucking with the young director. Um, now he's going to pull a big sad face and I'll come back and it'll be a little negotiation and we'll, you know, we'll see where we go. My, you know, it was my first day of working with him. I didn't know how much I could, you know, how square of a shooter he was. And, and I said, well, maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe that's it. Let's try it. Because I just didn't want to get into any kind of debate. It was only take two. So um, I went back and the, the moment where he was all, in his mind or he was just making a sadder face is the moment that's in the movie and it's heart wrenching. It's so true. It's so honest. And I felt like, okay, for this guy, 70 year old lifelong actor, um, all he wants is the word. He knows where that gear is. And, and, um, and, and, uh, and actors find that truth. They know how to access it. Or, and, and whether it's pretend or whether it's an emotional channel that they can open up, I don't know. It depends on the person, I think. But it was, it was just a great lesson that, that different people respond in different ways. Um, and, um, you know, so I, 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 this, I once had an opportunity to ask Mike Nichols, you know, how he rehearsed with actors um, and what he looked for. And he said, well, I like to try to open up bridges to conversations that I might need to have down the road. I like to understand the relationship that actor has with his or her character. And if I happen to hear a funny story about a crazy mother or a bully who hassled them in, when they were in elementary school or something, Maybe at three o'clock in the morning, I'll be able to come up and say, hey, remember that bully situation? Does that apply here? And open up something for them. Um, and uh, I thought that was a great, great lesson in, in working with actors, but also, you know, building up an understanding of, um, 
of the, their psyche, their emotional circumstance, and how it might relate to, um, you know, to the character and moments that you might be trying to achieve. And how do you find that out? I understand Nichols the discussion of, I want to know who you are as a human being and we'll share who we are. And then if there's a ways that I can help you by reminding you of who you are, I'm, I'm sort of rephrasing it. I yeah. I don't, I don't think he explained it. I think he was, would have charming dinners <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> uh, and, and be Mike Nichols and get people talking. But, uh, I, uh, but, uh, um, so I think it, I think there is a, you know, if you can have a little hang time, uh, I, I, I think that's, I think that can be valuable, you know, or it could be a direct conversation. Uh, you know, a lot, some actors like to be told others, most don't, most don't, um, because then things become so mechanical. So I'm, I always tread very lightly about that sort of, you know, just sort of, uh, um, directing too, too much toward a result. Unless I begin to see that they're at that place where that's what they, that's really all they want and they know what to do with it. That wraps up part one of this exclusive discussion with Ron Howard. Stay tuned next week for the conclusion of Mr. Howard's conversation with moderator Jeremy Kagan. If you'd like to hear more from the Craft of the Director series, check out episode 27, which features director David O. Russell discussing his noteworthy filmography. Or check out our YouTube page to find discussions with Leslie Linka Gladder and Guillermo del Toro. Past episodes of The Director's Cut are available wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. We'd love to hear your feedback, and you can help fellow film buffs find the show. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America. Music is by Dan Wally. 